All right, man. Welcome to the introduction for Crow 777 Radio, episode 105. Uh, Before I get into the intro here, next episode, episode 106, will be driven by subscriber-submitted questions. If you're a member of Crow777Radio.com, under this episode, 105, where we have Sean talking about cannabis, leave your questions that will be collected and will drive the next episode 106, which we do from time to time. Again, you must be a member, you must be logged in, and you must submit your questions under episode 105, where Sean is talking about cannabis. This is really a very interesting episode. We have Sean Malo and Jason. Uh, Sean has been creating medicines from cannabis. And as we have stated so often in this show, uh, based on alchemy and all the older sciences we can get our hands on, they have proven to my satisfaction that plants, in fact, are the carriers of life essence. We're going to get into so much that people may not be aware of about a particular plant called cannabis and its use as medication. Also, in the second hour, Sean has been arrested twice, jailed with no charges, had everything from money to everything he owns confiscated by the police, again, with no charges given. That is all covered in the second hour. There is so much information in this episode for anyone who wants to understand that plants are the true medicine of this world we live in, or one of the main true medicines. Anyhow, without any further ado, let's jump in with Sean and Jason and get into cannabis. It's an interesting topic. There it is, man. Cheers. All right, man. Welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio Podcast. This is episode 105, which I guess is correspondable to the number six, is it not? Anyhow, I have Jason lingering with me, and we have a special guest. Uh, we have Sean uh, from the Great White North. Well, not quite the Great White North, but we'll leave it at that. Anyhow, we're going to be covering uh, cannabis today. Uh, there was a time in this world when medicine was viewed uh, as mainly the domain of plants, that grow natural in our world. We've come a long way from there in the modern age of chemical compounds and chemical experiments being the main source of medicine for most of us in the Western world. Anyhow, welcome, Jason. Good morning, Crow. How are you? I'm awesome. How are you doing? I'm fantastic, man. I'm told we're getting into the 70s in the next few days here, so that's a good thing. But anyhow, uh, welcome, Sean. How are you? I'm very well, thanks, Crow. Now, you're near the Arctic Circle over there, so uh, are you guys past the snow by now? You know, I don't want to go gambling and say yes. <laughs> uh, we've had uh, wing here instead of spring. It's been a mixture of winter and spring. How many winters have you had so far? Six this year. <laughs> it's it's a heck of a thing. You know, we, we did a bunch of work to show that the equinoxes are basically broken. They don't resemble the historical accounts. And even on the newscasts here where they're doing the weather, they state openly that there is no spring anymore and we go straight from winter to warm. Um, but that's all, the whole other show. But anyhow, Sean, let's just jump. Let's cut straight to the chase here. Um, we should start with a foundation um, for people who are not familiar with the value of plant-based medicine, specifically for this show, cannabis. Where do you think a good starting point is to get people up to speed? 
A good starting point is, well... You know what? You know what? I'll jump in here. Um, in the same way we've done shows that show that human beings born in the West are given a straw man identity, a corporate identity, a basically a legal straw man identity is sent up for human beings when they get their little birth certificate card filled out and their social security number. And as fate would have it, cannabis is no different. It has its own version of the legal straw man. Why don't we start there? Yes, the, the legal straw man for cannabis would be called marijuana, and it's spelled two different ways. I'm not really sure why they use two different spellings besides just to confuse, but uh, there is no such thing as a marijuana. Marijuana was actually a verb in the, me in the Mexican lexicon, in the slang Mexican lexicon, I should say, uh, that was made, used to articulate the sensations encountered when you use cannabis. Um, Harry Anslinger found the word and thought it was uh, a good word to demonize cannabis and also to hide the fact that they were going to criminalize cannabis from the doctors of the time. So it sounds like the attack dogs are holding off the local police there. Yeah, apparently they're holding off the mailman. Uh, it's, it's a ritual here every day. <laughs> So, so anyhow, to get back to it, Sean, so, you know, what, what's the purpose? I mean, we kind of understand to some degree why human beings have this kind of legal fiction identity. What was the purpose of turning cannabis into marijuana in the legal sense? Well, it, for one thing, it, hit, it, would, it would mask that they were going after cannabis from the doctors of the time that were using cannabis for nearly every ailment, uh, at least for treatment, if not for cure. Unfortunately, they wanted to create a new medical model so that they could control people in a much more direct fashion. And in doing so, they had to criminalize cannabis because it filled the pharmacopoeia up to that point. And uh, when, when did the criminalization occur, Sean? Do you remember? Well, it was a slow moving process that took place from 1934 basically to 1941. Uh, the actual criminalization took place in 1937 under the direction of Harry Anslinger. So what we're really referring to here is the whole allopathic medicine move by the Rockefeller and Carnegie institutions, right? Exactly, Jason. The, the robber barons of the time realized that in order to truly gain control of the people, you had to take control of their health care. Uh, in doing so, they would also gain, stand to gain multiple profits by using their crude oil to make chemicals for medicines. Um, rather than using plant-based phytocannabinoids to treat the common ailments. So, uh, so, Sean, does it go without saying that these kind of robber barons, the people that we talk about so often here, the, you know, the richest people among us, they were certainly aware of the curative powers of plant-based medicines, particularly cannabis, and they must have been aware of the cancer-fighting agents. You know, it's my position that they did know, although it's impossible to prove such. Um, the, the, the method that they used and the criminality that they imposed over hemp as well as cannabis kind of lays bare their intention. Uh, you see, up to that point, the cattle in the field would be eating feral hemp and the chicken would be eating feral hemp. And so they would be becoming literally cannabinoids and terpenes. When we would ingest them, we would be our endogenous cannabinoid systems would be fulfilled and we would be kept in a, in a state of homeostasis. They realized that that was the case. 
So they criminalized hemp as well so that the livestock could no longer feed on it so that we would get sicker quicker, ensuring that the allopathic model would be successful. From what I understand, the Rockefellers also had many large groves of trees that could be used to make paper and things like that. So people growing hemp would be using that to make their own rope and paper and all all those other things. For instance, the Constitution Declaration of Independence of the United States are on hemp paper. And that was yet just another robber baron scheme, from what I understand. But how much do you think that doctors pre this line in the sand actually used cannabis and knew that they could use this to destroy tumors and things like that? You know, I don't think that there was a whole lot of awareness amongst the medical community about the endogenous cannabinoid system or the uh, anti-cancer effects of cannabis. Uh, At that point, cancer was still uh, not, not really a household term. So it was really just a matter of treating different ailments at that point. And cannabis was the go-to for most doctors at that point. Why would you say that is? Because it it does generally treat nearly every ailment that we've encountered. We've been donating medicines for quite some time now and discovered different properties from different cannabinoids and, and different mixtures thereof. And in doing so, we've discovered that uh, it doesn't just cure cancer. It, it treats diabetes, epilepsy, Crohn's disease, fibromyalgia. I mean, it's just, if it's, a, if it's a physical ailment and it's an internal problem and not an injury, it will treat it. But even, even injuries, I've noticed since starting to take cannabis oil, I started back in 2012, and I had had a wall fall on me back in the 90s and uh, created multiple injuries in, in my spine. Since using cannabis oil, I've had no pain in my spine. Uh, I didn't even realize it till a few years had passed. I'm like, wait a minute, I don't have any pain in my, in my back anymore. And fortunately or unfortunately, whichever you want to look at it, uh, my time in, in, that I spent in jail a little about a month ago awakened me to the fact that it's not just treating it, it's cured the injuries in my back, literally. I just don't have back problems anymore. So, Sean, for, for the people that, you know, I imagine there's a lot of people out there um, that may not be really familiar with medical uses for cannabis. So let's just kind of break down for people. And, and I'll state for the record to everyone listening, Sean is like a first-class how, how would you put it? Synthesizer of, of cannabis? That's probably not the word. Uh, maker of medical? Well, I guess the word would be extractor or processor. Um, okay, th- there you go. Processor of cannabis. To just outline some of the methods that are currently in use and of value to the medical profession. So most people hear the word cannabis, they think of marijuana, they image the the little hand-shaped leaf. Go ahead and break down um, how cannabis is processed to make some of the the things that are used medically. Well, there are several processes that you can use to to make a medical usable form of cannabis medicine. Unfortunately, uh, the propaganda has laid it so that people assume smoking when uh, they hear the word marijuana or cannabis, and that will not heal anything. It may have preventative effects, but you're not gonna heal any disease by smoking cannabis. It doesn't matter if you smoked it from sunup to sundown every day, you'll still have your disease. Um, It's only once you've extracted the components of the plant and, and purified them 
does that it makes uh, actual ethical medicine. And it's odd that I'm glad that you brought that up uh, because uh, here in Michigan, they're moving to criminalize all forms of processing of the cannabis plant in your home, uh, effectively making it so you have to purchase it from their licensed uh, uh, people that are playing ball. Well, let, let me jump in there, Sean. In some ways, what you're alluding to here is when the other guys get a hold of it, it becomes a chemistry project. What you seem to have been describing is much more closely aligned to alchemy, where you're using a science based in nature to extract certain things from a plant and then use a method of purification to intensify the thing that was first extracted from the plant. I mean, am I correct here? That's exactly correct, Crow. It's... Uh I mean, there's there's several forms you can use from ice water extractions to heat and pressure extractions. And these forms do work and they do have efficacy, but they're not going to give you the power of medicine that you need to fight a chronic illness like, say, diabetes or cancers or or epilepsy. In order to fight these problems, you need a, a very concentrated form. And so you need uh, either a hydrocarbon or a CO2 extraction, which uses uh, supercritical pressure to extract uh, using CO2. So, so before this conversation, it hadn't really even dawned on me, Sean, that in many ways you were a modern-day alchemist. You're using the benefits of what chemistry has taught us. You're calling out the certain elements by their chemistry names, but nonetheless, you're applying a natural science, which is in line with what we call alchemy. And here are the powers that be are trying to out, you know, outlaw this. And it goes to show, once again, the value in the older systems and the plant-based medicines and even the chemistry of the day called alchemy that would be used to put, to put these plants into usable medicines. Correct. Yeah. It's not, it's not a usable medicine until you've concentrated it, unfortunately. Uh, I, I wish you could cure disease by smoking it. We wouldn't have the, the level of disease because most people that uh, are aware of cannabis use cannabis for their for their better health. It's only those that are still propagandized and, and brainwashed that don't look into the, the healing properties and take advantage of them. So if I'm understanding this correctly, different strains of cannabis extracted in different ways will affect different diseases differently. Correct, yes. And we're unfortunately, we're just now scratching the surface of those efficacies, largely due to the prohibition of cannabis over the last 85 or more years. Now that I've, now that I've gone there, I want to let people know that, you know, back in the early 70s, Richard Nixon hired a couple of universities. One of them was the University of Virginia. The other eludes me, unfortunately. But he hired these universities to do a study on marijuana, as it, as it was called, and prove once and for all that smoking marijuana caused cancer. Well, unfortunately for Richard Nixon, they proved the opposite. And that's why nobody's ever heard of the study. Subsequently, they decided they, would, they needed to create a drug schedule and placed marijuana next to heroin on that drug schedule effectively making it so that universities and research groups would be would be creating a legal problem for themselves if they investigated the efficacies of cannabis and its components. So effectively, the search for the cure for cancer was criminalized. Right. So go ahead and explain that a little bit. They literally put marijuana next to something like heroin and probably other things like cocaine as well, I would surmise, 
just so that people couldn't have a legal standing to actually research it properly. Well, I'm glad you mentioned cocaine because it's actually a Schedule II drug. They're allowed to do research on cocaine. Uh, they're not allowed to do research upon uh, ecstasy is one of them. Uh, LSD is on the, that, on the Schedule One, and heroin is on Schedule One. And I believe psilocybin is being added as we speak to Schedule One. Uh, they've, they've located and found these components that have amazing healing characteristics and, and made them absolutely criminal to even look into their efficacy. Well, let, let me jump in here, Sean. We should define for people what Schedule 1 is. From my memory of a recent show, Schedule 1 dictates that the compound or drug or whatever you want to call it that is classified as Schedule 1 has no medicinal properties. Is that correct? Well, they, they put a special word in the, in the verbiage, no accepted medical use. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Let's play word games, right? Yeah, well, words are very important. Our minds think it literally in language. So words are critically important. So by doing this, this was in the early 70s, I take it? Late 60s, early 70s. So by doing this, the government actually understood that they knew there was something here to it. It didn't benefit the pharmaceutical industries, which have direct lobbying powers with the government. Therefore, make this highly criminalized so that nobody could really get out any efficient and very easily understandable studies to show what it could actually do for people for the benefit. Exactly. It was, it was a way to curtail the the opportunity to discover the efficacy of the of cannabis. Uh, it was and it, the fact that the the schedule was created after that study in my opinion shows its criminality on its face. Okay, they they discover that it cures cancer and then they make it schedule one. Come on. <laughs> well, it goes to show you what's going on here. Um, you know, consider a pharmaceutical company out there making chemical compounds. Uh, and we always use the, the restless leg syndrome idea where they made this thing. It didn't work for whatever they were trying to make it work for. And then they realized they could make up restless legs. So here all this R&D, all this chemistry, all these people you're paying are coming up with these chemical compounds. And then you look across the table at something like cannabis. There's no need to invent anything. It's all there. And as people like you are showing what I will call modern day alchemists, um, there's no high end chemistry even required, right? Correct. I think that a lot of the big buildings and machines are designed just to baffle people, literally, um, to make it seem like they know what they're doing. But with cannabis medicine, we don't need to know what the name of the problem is. Okay, the the address is the is the person's body. We just send the medicine to the address and the, and the problem is alleviated. We don't need to know what it's called and have a fancy word to give it. Uh, it's if the if the medicine doesn't work, then I might consult a doctor, but I won't consult a doctor beforehand. So just to give people, listeners, an idea, I mean, uh, the average person thinks about medicine. They're thinking about going to the pharmacy and getting a bottle of pills. Someone who's using cannabis as medicine, what are they taking and how are they taking it? Well, for our patients, they're taking uh custom-made capsules designed for their particular problem. We, we don't use edibles and, and whatnot because we don't want to introduce sugar into an already sensitive system. 
So we make capsules that are fused with coconut oil and sunflower lecithin to make them more bioavailable. And, uh, and we sometimes mix CBD isolate into the oil in order to mitigate some of the psychoactive components that some patients have sensitivities to. So in the oil, when it's being created to give people further a little bit better idea, what is it that's being extracted, purified, and concentrated? Just the cannabinoids and terpenes. Um, those are the, the medically beneficial components. The, car- the plant is, ba- is largely carbon-based, and so we don't want to be de- introducing carbon to our bodies if we can avoid it. So we just extract just the uh, cannabinoids and terpenes and then mix them into, like I said, a coconut and sunflower lecithin mixture at, at varying dosages according to the patient's uh, tolerance and ailment. And uh, as the patient increases their tolerance, we'll increase the, their dosage uh, so that they're getting the, the most benefit and the most oil within their body at, at a given time. So I have a two-part question then. Firstly, can you kind of just cover what cannabinoids and terpenes are? And secondarily, when someone ingests a cannabis-based medicine, will they expect to experience the typical high that someone is familiar with from ingesting cannabis? Well, the cannabinoids are the, uh, the components, the chemical components of the plant that have the efficacies. They're, they're like THC, the, the part that gets you high, CBD, CBG, CBN. And there's, there, we haven't even discovered all of the cannabinoids thus far. Uh, the terpenes, on the other hand, are the flavonoids. They're what you smell on the cannabis. The, the pleasant aromas are created by terpenes. And these terpenes serve to modulate the, the cannabinoids and basically send them, give them direction as to what, how they're to perform within the body. You know, what's interesting about that to me is all my recent research into alchemy, um, the idea that the alchemist would go into his garden and instantly recognize uh, medicinal potentials in plants simply from things like the color of the flower, other ideas that would immediately tell them the vibrational rate that produced the color, whether they were negative or positive polarity, male, female, electric, magnetic, all these ideas. But there is a constant undertone when it comes to the smell of a flower or the flavor of a plant where the alchemist would use that to correspond these unseen healing energies of nature into the medicine they were creating. And I figured I would just mention that, Sean. Oh, yeah, it's it's the plants are medicine. Food is medicine. OK, uh, that's that's where the medical community has really been the most convincing to people is that you can put whatever in your body and you just need a pill to fix it. Food is medicine. You're either healing yourself or poisoning yourself with everything you ingest, whether it's ideas or food. Okay, so be careful what you ingest. If it if if you can pull up and get it through a window, you should not be putting it in your mouth. Uh, It's just that simple. They've got us all poisoning ourselves. And then, you know, the kid gets fed Doritos and and candy all day, ends up in the classroom fidgety and tapping his fingers or his toes. The teacher says, oh, you need to go see a doctor. You're hyperactive. The doctor's job is invariably to give you a little square piece of paper to take to a pharmacy, okay, so that they give the the little kid Ritalin 
with and not knowing what the long term potentials of the Ritalin are. And so the, the, the problem is alleviated when the problem could have been alleviated merely by going to the proper section of the grocery and skipping, stopping at the McDumpster. <laughs> I made that exact point in the last show, actually, when we were discussing the medical system. They don't even look at what nutrition is going on. They just throw a pill at it. Right. That's their, their go, go to is surgery and pills. Uh, you know, let's remove the organ rather than try to fix it. I'd say a good third of the patients that we get already have been damaged by the medical community by with chemo and radiation or having organs removed. And it, it automatically sets us at a disadvantage to help them heal. It's looked at as so great when we get a, a, a patient that hasn't actually undergone any of their treatments yet. And we actually have successes with those patients at a, a much higher level. Well, I'm assuming also that uh, no mainstream doctor is going to even suggest, even though it's actually in the rider you have to sign, that there's an alternative to chemotherapy and that sort of thing with the cannabis treatment. Cannabinoid treatment, I guess, would be more technically correct. But they're never going to tell you that. So by the time people might get to you, a lot of damage has probably already been done, correct? Exactly. But yeah, and you know, I don't mean to correct you, Jason, but it is actually cannabis therapy. Oh, okay. Cannabinoids on their own are, are really limited in their ability to, to call it, to uh, affect change. Uh, it's, it's when you have the entourage effect of all of the components is when you get the true advantage of cannabis medicine. So, Sean, right now I'm searching my mind back to, I believe, the teen shows, the early teen shows of Crow 777 Radio the first time you were on. Um, you actually, in your family, had success, if I remember correctly, with an immediate family member, member curing breast cancer. Um, so can you talk about that for a minute? And also, was that one of your earliest forays into this? Well, it was one of our earliest, yes. Unfortunately, my first patient was my mother. And uh, the doctors were able to convince her to stop taking the cannabis medicine. And she subsequently passed. I think it was a few months after our first show, actually. But my wife, soon after, was diagnosed with breast cancer. Fortunately, it was the larger cell breast cancer. So we were able to treat it entirely with organic food and cannabis medicine and a little bit of ionic silver. And we've also uh, went and rescued my wife's uncle from down in South Carolina, where he was in a hospital. That, and by, by everything that, that we have been told from him, they were trying to kill him, literally. <laughs> uh, had been giving him uh, steroid injections and radiation for what they assumed was skin cancer. Immediately upon getting him up here to Michigan and starting him on the medicine, we noticed that it wasn't skin cancer, but hives that they were calling skin cancer. My wife made a solution uh, that she calls her sunscreen and was, was able to alleviate that particular condition immediately in hours. Skipping forward to now, he's lost 185 pounds of the 364 pounds he weighed when he got here. Uh, hasn't taken a single prescription from any doctor. He's just simply used organic food. We've got him treating his COPD with ionic silver breathing treatments. And uh, the cannabis oil has uh, literally stripped all of his extra weight off without giving him any extra flaps of skin or anything like that because it came off naturally. What is the cannabis oil doing to make someone lose weight like that? 
Well, it's it's a matter of we'd have to go into the endogenous cannabinoid system in order to, uh, to explain it, Jason. See, every mammal and most birds, most fish on Earth have uh, what we call an endogenous cannabinoid system where the body of the particular being uh, creates cannabinoids within itself. And up until the age of puberty, we're, we're armed very well with these cannabinoids. Uh, anamide is one of them, and the other escapes me. During puberty, we lose the ability to generate these in, endogenous cannabinoids. And so we need to replace them with phytocannabinoids. The, en the endogenous cannabinoid system is in charge of regulating things like your digestive system, your eliminative function, and therefore your immune system. So really all that's happening is the oil is going in and feeding this endogenous cannabinoid system so that your immune system can behave normally and properly. That's, it's very simple. That's very interesting. You know, I was curious, and I meant to ask this earlier, before the, the line of the sand was drawn with the allopathic medicine takeover, you had naturopathic doctors and allopathic doctors. Who would have been using cannabis medicine? Would it have been both sides, but the allopathic side got stomped out once the Rockefeller-Carnegie tyranny started coming in? Or was it always leaning more towards the naturopathic side? You know, it was always leaning toward the naturopathic side. All those surgeries were uh, a last resort up to that point. Uh, they were being used prior, and cannabis was actually being used as as a, a partial anesthetic along with morphine sulfate. And at what point would you say that did did something happen in the early twentieth century where it got really noticed that hey, this one thing is doing a whole heck of a lot of good, and we can't have that coming from the powers that be. You know, I don't think it was so much a realization of, of, of that nature as the discovery of oil. Uh, <laughs> the discovery of oil was what was the major change. Uh, they needed a way to, to market the byproducts generated from oil, the refining of oil into gasoline and other components, uh, much like fluoride. Uh, you know, the aluminum production was generating all this fluoride. And, and so the, the companies that were generating it had to pay lots of money to store this fluoride because it was a, a, a poison. So they convinced the American Dental Association that it hardened the enamel on our teeth and therefore would prevent cavities. And now they sell it to municipalities and add it to the water. Thanks, Edward Bernays. Yeah, exactly. It's 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 the uh, the same paradigm, literally. Uh, it's they 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 use a certain program and they don't deviate from it because it works. So, Sean, when you're talking about the oil barons, what what were the byproducts and and how did those byproducts get stuffed into our system? Well, they they were nasty byproducts. The stuff that wasn't uh, kept as fuel and 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 lubricants. I don't know the names of the byproducts, to, to be honest, Crow. Um, I guess my terminology would be nasty buku, but they've, they've convinced us to put this stuff in our bodies now. Much so, like chemotherapy is actually based on mustard gas. So okay. the, assert the assertion here is that some of these petrochemical bicant or the, the production byproducts from petrochemical are actually making it into the food supply? Oh, of course they are, yes. 
Yes, uh, and they're also in the water table because as we ingest them, we, we invariably have to eliminate them. And so they end up in our water table through going by going through water treatment facilities. Okay, it's, uh, there's no way to keep any element out of the water table once it's introduced into the food chain. You know, it's a crazy thing um, that you mentioned this back in the day uh, when my wife was young, her grandmother used to put Vaseline petroleum jelly on her chest when she got sick. But then she would do a horrible thing and put some on a spoon and have my young wife ingest that petroleum jelly. This is the kind of thing we're talking about, right? I mean, recently they've been showing that even baby powder uh, can cause cancers. Oh, yeah. I- they're all for convincing you to take their product, regardless if it's harmful or not. Gerber sells water with added fluoride for infants. Infants don't even have teeth. So what are you, what are you, what enamel can you possibly harden? Well, we got to knock that IQ down right from the get-go, don't we? Well, yeah, I, I, that's the true purpose for it, is to harden the pineal gland and, and mitigate the communication between the hemispheres of your brain. It, it, what it does is it makes it so you can't get angry when it's appropriate. So, Sean, let me ask you, now that we're talking about the pineal gland, the effects of fluoride, um, is that something that's treatable uh, with cannabis? Is Are you aware of ways that people can decalcify the pineal or do other beneficial things that undo some of the damage there? Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, cannabis, I don't know about its particular ability to decalcify the pineal. Uh, but it creates a state of homeostasis, so I would have to assume that that would be addressed as well. Uh, but on a more direct note, uh, you can take and supplement your diet with chlorella and cilantro together, and they will help uh, remove both fluoride and heavy metals from your from your body. What uh, What is chlorella? It's an herb. Uh-huh. It's a plant, and so, and so is cilantro. Yeah, it's plants are medicine. Oil is not. Mustard gas is not medicine. And AZT is also made from mustard gas, by the way. And it's it's amazing that they they came up with this uh, acquired immune deficiency syndrome. Uh, and and if you get uh, humino immunodeficiency virus, then they immediately prescribe AZT which goes about destroying your immune system and you will end up with acquired immune deficiency syndrome. Yeah, that's quite a topic here on the channel. AIDS (laughs) has come up so many times and I have said that I don't accept it as a disease that's transmitted in the way we've been told. Even referencing modern doctors that show some of the testing mechanisms uh, will make you positive one day and then not the next week and having to do with proteins that have nothing to do. But anyhow, it's interesting that you would bring up AIDS in that way. Well, yeah, they it's it's just one more uh, situation where they're they're issuing poisons to people who are otherwise healthy and destroying their health. It's my position that cancer medicine and AIDS medicine is what's killing cancer patients and AIDS pa- patients, not the diseases themselves. Now you mentioned heavy metal toxicity. I'm assuming a lot of these problems started with the industrial revolution and just became an ever increasing problem as the decades went on. Well, you know, as far as the, I don't know if you're alluding to the, you know, the, the unfortunate pollution of Earth, but I don't think that the, the 
industrial pollution is actually the cause of these diseases. I think that it's a much more insidious issue. A direct attack. Exactly. Um, I, I don't think that it's happenstance as a consequence of industrialized uh, activity as it is them taking advantage of our idea that it could be industrialized activity. Well, what I'm considering is what all the factors may be that has made cancer just go through the roof. For instance, in our grandparents' time, great-grandparents' time, cancer was a rare thing, and I know some people just write it off as saying, well, they couldn't diagnose it properly, but I don't think it's just just that. I, I looked up cancer statistics, and of course, especially by the 50s and 60s, you had lung cancer going through the roof because you had doctors on television telling everybody which packet of cigarettes they should be smoking. But right. <laughs> But in general cancer across the entire spectrum has gone through the roof and I'm wondering if it's a, a large byproduct of massive industrialization getting into our bodies from every which way. Well, it's 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 in the food, it's in the vaccinations, it's purposeful. You don't see the cancer incidence amongst the Amish, for instance, uh, or the rest of the world for that matter. Here in America, we have an exploding cancer epidemic but we also had an FDA that allowed, you know, SV40 to be introduced into the polio vaccine in the late 60s and early 70s. That can account for a, a huge, um, uh, more than half of the incidence of cancer, quite frankly. So, Sean, if I remember way back to one of the times we talked, we were talking about some of the sweeteners or so-called sweeteners that get put into so many of the products people ingest. Um, can you address that for a minute? I think there was one that had to do with Donald's Rumsfeld, aspartame or something like that. Yeah, aspartame was was passed uh, through the assistance of Donald Rumsfeld, the former, uh, I believe he was the defense secretary under Bush, under Bush one or Bush two, I'm sorry, not Bush one. But yeah, the, the, all of these individuals, not all of them, but most of them go through a revolving door where they go to the corporate side and then they'll go back to the government side. And, and when it's advantages for them, they'll go back to the corporate side. And that's what happened with Donald Rumsfeld getting uh, aspartame uh, through uh, the FDA, uh, FDA's approval process. Uh, it had been denied, from what I understand, 27 times prior uh, and it was uh, through Donald Rumsfeld's influence that he was able to get it through so that we could be poisoned with uh, genetically mo modified E. coli feces. So there's a lot of people out there talking about some of the problems aspartame creates. I'm hoping you can address that. But m myself, for one, you know, I always love chewing gum. Go ahead out into the world today and try to find a gum without aspartame in it. I just basically gave up many years ago. But um, in your view, what are some of the direct effects we see from aspartame? Well, the, I had personal direct effects back, I guess that was in 08 or 09. I was a prolific diet soda drinker, uh, diet pop drinker. And my niece called me and said, you know, you might want to look into it. But uh, there's people saying that uh, it causes brain cancer. And I just guffawed it because of my love for diet drinks and, and kept drinking them until I started developing excruciating migraine headaches. And uh, it occurred to me what my niece had told me, you know, sometime before. So I, I just said, you know, I'm going to try cutting out the, the diet drinks for a couple of days and see if see if these headaches might go away. 
Sure enough, they went away entirely. I haven't ever, I haven't drank in a diet drink since. Um, but yeah, I, I'm pretty, I'm pretty well certain that the only reason they would have to hire Donald Rumsfeld to get their uh, FDA approval lays bare the intention and the and the properties behind the component. Uh, why is it that this individual who had no uh, expertise and diet uh, was used to push this through the FDA? But I, I'd like some of your listeners to do the a quick exercise and just go to the FDA's website and click on the support and funding. And you'll see that pharmaceutical industries and big, big agra are funding the FDA. I thought our tax dollars were supposed to do this. Yeah, not anymore. Um, as so many listeners here understand, the United States is a corporation, and corporation pretty much runs the show now. Even the people we call government are, in fact, incorporated. But, Sean, before we get off the aspartame thing one more time, do you know anything about how it's produced? And can you reiterate one more time what aspartame actually is? And I'm harping on this so hard because when you go through almost any given product that is not using some kind of corn syrup, you're going to see aspartame on the label. Oh, oftentimes you'll see high fructose corn syrup on the label uh, coupled with aspartame. Uh, aspartame, from my understanding, is generated from genetically modified E. coli bacteria's feces. It's an amino acid generated from that nasty thing that everyone's so afraid of. <laughs> Just to be clear, E. coli is typically found in feces, right? Yes, sir. Well, from what I understand, wasn't aspartame developed as a neurotoxin that just happened to have the side effect of being the equivalent of, I think, the sweetness of 16 teaspoons of regular white sugar in the same amount or something to that effect? I remember reading something to that effect, yes, Jason. And they have to feed a certain strain of chemicals to a certain strain of E. coli bacteria, and what it excretes is then powderized, processed in some way, and here's your neurotoxin. Yeah, it's yummy. <laughs> so, Sean, um, for the second hour, I'm going to start to bring up what the police state has done personally to you um, as a person who's tried to use plant-based medicines and offered them to people who want to try to move away from chemical compounds. So just to let you know, I'm going to push that off to the second hour. But let's pull this back around um, to cannabis specific. I mean, in, in your view, Sean, what are some of the biggest issues on the table right now in our world in real time that have to do directly with cannabis? Well, the biggest issue in my from my perspective is uh, legalization versus decriminalization. Uh, legalization is a legalese word, and it means putting it in the control of politicians and lawyers, as it has been for the last 85 years. It's an extension of prohibition uh, with availability thrown in, uh, if you want to pay the tax and jump through the hoops necessary. Uh, decriminalization is where the government doesn't have a say anymore in cannabis, as it should be. The, the states are all moving to, to codify legalization because they're being rewarded with tax money for its availability to the patients. And the patients don't understand that that availability is coming at a, at a long-term price of permanent prohibition for many. See, it, it's my position that the, these different states, including Michigan, that are moving toward legalization of both recreational and medical cannabis are doing so 
in order to be able to uh, hold control over this uh, wonderful uh, plant. But it's my position that uh, we should be able to grow it freely. We should be able to have our whole lawns be cannabis if that's our choice. Uh, it doesn't harm anything ever. Things that are taxed should be taxed because they harm things, much like a vehicle will harm the road when it's on it. So you pay a tax when you register it. Cannabis doesn't harm anything. It never has. And it, and it won't. So I don't think that any tax is proper on cannabis. Taxing it will make it so that certain people cannot afford to use it as therapy. Hey, it's hard to imagine that we now live in a modern era where people so easily accept that a plant that grows in nature can somehow be classified as a Schedule One drug. But Sean, I think we both understand where you're very accurate description of legalization heads. I mean, after all, it wasn't too long ago I did research on apples, of all things, and heirloom tomatoes, and was astounded to learn that near the beginning of the 20th century, there were many thousands, even in some cases, hundreds of thousands of varieties of different heirloom vegetables and fruits that we have lost. And this has been largely because of the corporatization of food production. So, I mean, this logically leads our conversation in a direction here, does it not? When legalization occurs and some years get behind us, that one day we head into the liquor store and right there next to the Marlboro cigarettes are the Colombian gold slims with a filter. But at that point, I mean, we're pretty sure what happens, right, Sean? Don't places like Monsanto continue on their merry way, buying up all the seed, genetically modifying any healthful benefits out of the plant and this type of thing? Yes, that's, that's what they're moving to do now is to limit its efficacy that's the whole reason behind this uh, new uh, proposed legislation here in Michigan to criminalize any form of processing of the cannabis plant, because they know full well that smoking the plant raw can can offer very limited efficacy. But by concentrating it, it becomes uh, a miracle medicine. Uh, and on top, on top of that, you know, you were venturing earlier that you're just scratching the surface. If we consider now stepping into that place that's just south of Seattle, the old timber town that's become such a high marijuana production town, places like Denver, places like just outside Detroit, we're looking at basically what we could call boutique growers, right? These are people who are interested in growing organic, for one, and they're interested in the strains. Not only are they interested in the strains, through natural reproduction, they are creating more type and variety all the time, much the same way that we used to have maybe hundreds of thousands of apple varieties. I mean, that's really what's on at stake here, right? Because once corporation comes in, at some point, the boutique grower gets pushed aside. And pretty soon, like we all have only one Burbank potato mostly now, at some point in the future, it's Monsanto's, Colombian, whatever the hell it will be. I mean, am I right on the money here? You're exactly on the money. And, and I, on that note, another thing that you have to bear in mind where our food is concerned is uh, the FDA has allowed to, the farmers and actually forced them to keep farming the same land over and over and over through the years. So say your, your, Burbank, your Burbank potato had 14 or 15 nutrients in it back in 1940. Now you're getting two, maybe three. Okay. So you can't be properly nourished. Uh, even if you are eating, quote, quote, organic food, it's still not what it would have been back in the 40s. 
that's a key, key point. Here where I live in Rhode Island, uh, there are actually still existing the remnant, the remnants of a farm community. Here where I live now, historically when I was young, there were two major occupations. That was shell fishing or fishing in general and farming. And we still see the farming. To this day, we watch them rotate the crops. They'll grow corn one year. They'll grow something else like squash or these other. I think there's about four or five crops that get rotated around. But what you're pointing out is even the Burbank potato. People should go look up what has happened with the Burbank potato. It's such a good example. What happened is during the corporatization, everyone decided that they loved the Burbank potato because it was the perfect shape, size, and look for all the uses Americans love potatoes for. But in fact, what happened was Monsanto stepped in. Pretty soon, the farmers couldn't even own their own seed. And to top it off, some of the plants will not produce seed that grows. So they're contracted to Monsanto to every year have to get it. And as you pointed out, the crops are never rotated. So now not they only diminished the genetics, then modified the genetics, uh, the actual nutrients available in the plant have diminished. And I think this really underscores what is going on with cannabis. Right now in the world, there are presumably many, many, many people concerned with the genetics, the purity, and the strains of marijuana going, banking seeds and things like this. But as the corporatization heads in and the legalization heads in, I mean, we're walking up to a cliff with this very vital medicinal source, are we not? Oh, yes. It's, it's a, and it is a cliff. Uh, it's a sudden drop-off point. I don't think that the patients nor the producers really bear in mind the, that there's a limited time to be able to stop the initiatives being taken in different states. Uh, once they've codified and, and got their tax money, you think they're going to turn around and say, oh, well, you know, we changed our mind? No, they're, they're looking to codify it permanently. Several states are talking about adding adding their cannabis laws into their constitution, making a constitutional convention necessary to reverse them. Discussing all the uh, problems between politics and private sector, I think Donald Rumsfeld is a perfect example of someone who intentionally floats between the private sector, major corporations, and then getting back into politics at a high level so that these corporations can steer things the way they want. And I have no doubt that the whole cannabis issue is going to be just yet another one of those things that gets steered the way the corporations want it to go. Well, that's the way it's going up to this point anyway, and it's going to require individuals like myself and others to to man up and put your body against the gears. That's the, the only way to stop it. There's there's never been a protest in in the world that ever changed anything besides what was on TV. Okay? The only way to change things is called civil disobedience, where you find something that's not harmful to society to to break the law. Okay, that's what I'm doing is called civil disobedience. It works. It's admirable. And when we look at what's actually happened uh, with cannabis, it's it's unreal. I, I imagine if we could step back in time 25 years and inform everyone that cannabis is headed for legalization, uh, everyone would have considered that California would have been the state to do it. And in fact, it was one of the first states to get it on the ballot. But what happened was they paired it off with gay marriage 
to get everyone looking at the left or the right hand. And on top of that, uh, we were told that the Mormon community came into the state of California from Utah, bringing millions of dollars with it to skew the vote. And the next thing we realize, uh, it was legalized in Denver. And then not long after that, up in your neck of the woods near Detroit, people started growing. And of course, the timber town south of Seattle I mentioned earlier. So we can see what happens here. But I mean, Sean, the, the main point you make here about civil dis disobedience is really pertinent to me. How in the hell can all the people involved in cannabis and medical cannabis and these ideas get wrapped up in the idea of legalization when what should be being pointed out here is this is a plant. Mother Nature grows this thing. Who in the hell has a right to outlaw it? I mean, that's where I would come at it, Sean. Well, that's where I am coming at it from. And radio shows like yours, yours are the only source right now to get the information out to people about what cannabis truly is and what it what it affords people as far as efficacy, as well as not being under control of the of the of the man anymore. We were just talking about, you know, how how the minds are so skewed so easily into the legal vote aspects of things when, in fact, we're talking about a plant. We could be talking about a dandelion or a rose. Well, yeah, it's they've got they've got the producers uh, looking at the money involved. So they're not looking at at it from a human perspective. They're looking at it from a profit perspective. And the patients are looking at it from an availability perspective rather than a longevity perspective. Okay, they want it available as soon as possible. So any way we can do that is good, uh, although they're harming themselves with their very votes. You know, another thing that's got to be going on here, Sean, is you know damn well that once something gets legalized, quote unquote, there's going to be licensing on the tail of that. And with a thing like this, we could probably expect licensing fees to go up close to $100,000. I mean, am I right here? Oh, you're exactly correct. <laughs> They're already moving to to uh, codify what's called the MMMFLA here in Michigan. Uh, Michigan Medical Marijuana Facility Licensing Act, where they're attempting to have the producers of the medicine pay them a bounty for a license uh, so that they can sell their wares to licensed dispensaries. Uh, and that's why they're moving to criminalize all other forms of extraction so that you're forced to buy your product from their license holders. All right, Sean, I, I got to jump in here, bud. We're over time and we're running the first hour on another radio show. So we have to come in at under an hour and we don't want to cut any of this out. Uh, that brings hour one to a close for episode 105, covering cannabis, the true word for the thing we call marijuana cannabis. And when we come back, we're going to delve into what's happened to Sean. He's been arrested twice. He's had nearly his whole life confiscated, no charges levied during all this. And it appears that it's not even the cannabis that's the problem. It's the idea that cannabis can cure medical things seems to be the problem here. Anyhow, at the posting of this episode, there will be 105 free hours of content at crow777radio.com. No login required. If you choose to become a member, you are supporting free speech. And as I mentioned, we will talk about the delicate issues in hour two because we have to. There it is, man. Cheers. Cheers.